Hello and welcome to Uncommon Law, my podcast about true stories from my life experience of over 50 years as a lawyer and trial judge. This is a look at the law from the inside out, stuff they don't teach in law school. This is Judge Rudy Greco, retired justice of the New York State Supreme Court. My first law office uh, in practice as an attorney was in, in Queens in the Silver Towers building on Queens Boulevard in Kew Gardens, which was opposite the criminal court. Now, the Silver Towers was an interesting building. It was a massive building. It was it covered a whole block. And it was 25 stories high. It was mixed use. On, on the first floor on the street level on Queens Boulevard were a bunch of stores. There was a hairdresser. There was a United Parcel store and uh, some storefront lawyers, a delicatessen. And most importantly, there was the Part 1 bar and restaurant. And the Part 1 was notorious. The building was occupied on 23 floors uh, by residents. Uh, the second floor above the, uh, the, the uh, commercial stores on the street level were all lawyer suites, 12 suites with numbering uh, three to seven lawyers in each suite. So it was a, it was a big, busy place. And upstairs in the uh, residential 23 floors, there were any number of airline stewardesses because it was right near the uh, JFK. It was handy. You could take a city bus to JFK Airport or LaGuardia, take a train and a bus to LaGuardia. There were racing people because of the proximity of Belmont and Aqueduct racetracks uh, to the building itself. And all sorts of people that were, that were pretty interesting. And they would all hang out uh, the lawyers, the politicians, the cops, the uh, assistant district attorney, the prosecutors, the, the criminals themselves, the guys from the famous from the uh, Goodfellas movie, the real life Goodfellas who who pulled off the uh, Lufthansa heist at JFK Airport that was made famous in that movie. Uh, cocktail waitresses and and the stewardesses and the usual hangers on would all uh, congregate into part one bar which was notorious, and it was a uh, fertile ground for uh, stories and reporters, and including the Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, reporter Jimmy Breslin. And Jimmy was a son of Queens. He was one of a kind, or what the Irish would call a real piece of work. He grew up in a working-class family. At a very early age, his father abandoned his wife and children, of which Jimmy was one. And understandably, Jimmy was a bundle of contradictions. He was a it's quite a character in, in many ways. He, he could be hard-boiled and, and, and hard-nosed and, and sentimental also. Um, he could be a, a feuding and argumentative guy. He used to characterize, he had a long-running feud in print with Governor Carey, whom he de deemed Society Carey for, for, for forgetting where his roots came from. Uh, he was also a peacemaker. I mean, at one time, uh, there was a cop off-duty, he was in a bar and uh, got in an altercation with another guy, and a wise guy, uh, and the cop shot the other guy in the hand, and this was a bad situation. Uh, the guy, the victim who was shot, happened to be uh, one of uh, the Goodfellas crew uh, from uh, Jimmy Burke, who was a friend of Jimmy Breslin's. They had grown up together in Queens. And the cop was a friend of Breslin's, and Breslin arranged for Jimmy to bring his underling, and uh, Jimmy brought the cop, and they met, and they straightened out the whole situation by sitting down and, and talking it through. And Jimmy saved that cop's career. The cop went on to be uh, 
after he retired, a prominent uh, city and, and uh, national politician of, of uh, some note. And he had a very, very good career. And that was thanks to Jimmy's efforts making peace. Jimmy was also a soft-spoken guy uh, for the most part. And he could be, uh, especially with a few drinks, very brash and very loud. He could be very discreet. You could share a confidence with him, yet he could also uh, reveal secrets that uh, nobody should have known about. And, 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 and he didn't even think about it, and, and he would do it. He, he did that a couple of times. He wrote about a Medal of Honor winner in uh, Queens County, an Irish-American kid. And in the portrait of the kid's uh, daily life, he made sure to, to uh, highlight the fact that the kid had a bottle of uh, Jameson's Irish whiskey on, on his night table next to his bed, which he didn't have to say. Another time he wrote about uh, uh, a detective who died, uh, who had been the district attorney's driver and bodyguard, personal bodyguard. And everybody loved this particular guy, and he died prematurely. He was sick. He had a bad heart. and um, Jimmy wrote a beautiful obituary about the guy in, in, in the newspapers. But uh, along with all the praise and all the nice things that everybody said about this, this particular guy and all his good qualities, Jimmy brought up uh, one blemish on his record, which almost cost the cop his job. And people were pissed off and said, what the hell is wrong with you? He said, well, it's the truth. You know, I just told the truth. And, and he, could, he, he was, you know, that kind of a guy. And so I personally... Uh, I treated him like a loaded gun, you know. He, was, he could do a great amount of good and he could do a great amount of harm and you had to be careful. Uh, his fame grew and he wrote, uh, you know, under pressure all the time, uh, a tremendous amount of good stuff. And, and, and in the end, he's basically competing with himself because uh, when you get that good, you know, and you have to, a certain level of, of excellence is expected, and that's hard to do. It's like a, a, any sports team, you know, once you win the championship and you're expected to keep winning the championships, that's tougher than the first one. And Jimmy hung out on Queens Boulevard. He lived uh, nearby in, in Forest Hills Gardens uh, with his wife, Rosemary uh, Detalico, his, his first wife, and, um, and their kids. And he used to hang out on Queens Boulevard because it was nearby. Uh, he never drove. He was a quintessential New Yorker. He never drove a car. He used to take the subway. And he would walk to, to uh, the Kew Gardens, uh, to the Part 1, and to uh, the bail bonds office, which was 40 yards away. And, and the guy that owned the bail bond uh, office uh, owned the Part 1, and that was Shelley Shevlo. And that was Jimmy's best friend. It was kind of his muse. And he would write about Shelley the bail bondsman all the time. And he called that stretch between the bail bonds office on Queens Boulevard and uh, across the street to the uh, Part 1 bar, Shelley's 40 yards. And uh, one of the uh, obituaries the, the, of, of Shelley's bail bond office was a lawyer, a criminal defense lawyer, Mel Lebetkin, uh, who Jimmy immortalized in many, many columns as Klein the Lawyer, uh, under that sobriquet of Klein the Lawyer. And... Um, Typical Jimmy, uh, they were all sitting around uh, Shelley's office one day, and, and Shelley had been at that particular time, I think, on the NBC Nightly News, uh, periodically uh, doing stories, little vignettes about New York. And this was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And he told, uh, he was hanging around with Mel and Shelley and said, listen, uh, watch the, uh, the Nightly News tonight. I'm going to talk about you guys, okay? So, oh, they went home and they got all their families, uh, Mel's family, and then Shelley got his father, mother, and his wife, and his daughters, they're all watching the news. And there comes Breslin. He says, 
So I was in the office with Shelley the bail bondsman and uh, Klein the lawyer, who were both discussing um, how to get away from their families to be uh, on a long weekend with their girlfriends in Florida this weekend. <laughs> a little bomb goes off in both houses. And it's funny because afterwards I heard about this and both of them, uh, both uh, Shelly and Mel uh, reacted in the same way. They said, how do you like that Breslin? He sets us up with the whole family to watch this thing and then he tells this phony story about us making up this stuff about girlfriends and going to Florida and everything else. Oh, leave it to Breslin to do that nonsense and pull that crap with us, you know? And they, they kind of waltzed their way through the story. Well, anyway, that was Jimmy. And he wrote about all sorts of stories. He wrote a couple of uh, about my cases, a couple of good stories that were very helpful. I had a, a young uh, Chinese-American woman who was uh, falsely accused of bribery when she complained about uh, an, a, a tax, a sales tax refund that was overdue for two years and held up for no reason. And she said, do I have to bribe somebody? And they wanted to arrest her. Uh, for, for attempted bribery. It was a bunch of nonsense. And, and Jimmy was very good about writing that up. He also wrote about uh, a wonderful story about a jockey that I represented and uh, who was framed by the chief of uh, security at the racetrack, who was an ex-FBI guy and also a, 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 a gambler on the horses who uh, set this jockey up uh, in a fit of pique because this jockey wouldn't share tips on his own horses with this guy who was gambling. And Jimmy also had a fabulous sense of humor, and he wrote about uh, the Mets uh, in a book called Can Anybody Here Play This Game? It was talking about the hapless early uh, Mets when they were just formed, and they were terrible. He wrote also about the Gallo uh, brothers uh, in, a, in a comical book called The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight, which became a very uh, acclaimed movie. And... Um, Another thing he wrote about was a very funny incident. There was a guy who lived in the Silver Towers who ran a sweatshop, and his name was John the Beetle because he had a beetle haircut. And John ran a sweatshop where immigrant ladies made sweaters and dresses and everything else. And he also kept a big apartment which was filled with young girls and uh, drugs. And um, one of the young uh, gals was this gal named Marilyn who was very, very pretty. And for some reason or other, the FBI was following John the Beetle. I think he was connected with the Lufthansa guys, the Goodfellas, somehow as a fence or something else. And they were following him around and surveilling him. And Marilyn was up there. And um, the FBI followed a cab that either John or Marilyn was supposed to be in. And they followed the cab from Kew Gardens all the way to Manhattan to another apartment. And when the cab pulled up at the building, the only person, the only occupant of the cab was Lance, Marilyn's German Shepherd, Lance the dog. And Jimmy wrote the thing about the FBI tailing Lance the dog from Queens to Manhattan, which was hilarious. He also ran for city council at one time. Uh, he ran for the city council presidency. That's what they called it uh, at that time instead of a speaker. And uh, his uh, companion on the ticket uh, was uh, Norman Mailer, the author, who was running for mayor. And the two of them lampooned all the people they were running against, and their campaign slogan was memorable. It was, stop the shit. And as I said, Jimmy had a quick, uh, cutting sense of humor, and uh, it was on display at any given moment. And one night, uh, we had a memorable evening at the 92nd Street Y, uh, where Jimmy and his wife, Rosemary, 
Shelley, the bail bondsman, myself, my wife, and my mother-in-law, who was a big, big Jimmy Breslin fan, all went to, to dinner, after which uh, we went to the 92nd Street Y to see Jerry Mulligan in concert. And we had a wonderful time. It was a most memorable evening, especially uh, due to the fact that within the year, both Rosemary and Shelley passed away from, from serious illnesses, cancer. So that was the last night all of us had been together, and we had a, just an outstanding evening, a lot of fun. And, and in the middle of the concert is uh, an intermission. So Shelley, Jimmy, and I uh, stepped away from the seats and went into the lobby. And Jimmy was highly recognizable at the time. Everybody knew who he was, uh, the TV and the commercials and everything. And, and this young guy comes up to him out of nowhere, a brash young guy, and he says, oh, I know you. He says, you're the guy from that uh, beer commercial, Peel's Beer. That beer sucks. And Jimmy says, it's a lot better than that shit soda you're drinking. And the guy walked away, reduced to nothing. Another guy comes up to Jimmy out of nowhere. This is in rapid fire. I mean, the guy couldn't walk anywhere without being accosted by somebody, favorable or unfavorable. And this guy says, I know you. You're that writer. You're a writer. I'm a writer, too. Jimmy says, really? He says, well, let me ask you, kid. He says, have you ever been paid for anything you wrote? He says, no. He said, well, you ain't no goddamn writer. <laughs> and that guy went away. And that was Jimmy. He was really fast on his feet. And Jimmy, uh, his columns were outstanding. And um, he had a few of them, I think three, uh, as I recall, in a book, which was a compilation of uh, supposedly the most, uh, an anthology of the most uh, of the outstanding American columns. It was called Deadline Artists. And Jimmy, uh, in spite of the fact that there were people in there like uh, Damon Runyon and, and, and that ilk, you know, Red Smith, Walter Lippmann, Jimmy had, I think, three, three columns. He had more than anybody else in that book. I think everybody else had one. Jimmy had three. And two of them, I can recall off the top of my head, they were outstanding. And it just showed you what kind of a guy Jimmy was and, and, and what kind of a sense he had for a story. They both around, uh, revolved around uh, John F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy and his assassination. While uh, this was going on, Jimmy interviewed the doctor who was in the emergency room trying to, trying to save the president's life. He interviewed that doctor, and he got all the facts about the struggle to save Kennedy's life in great detail. And when Kennedy was buried, days later, everybody was talking in the papers about this notable and this king and this prince and, and this big shot and this prime minister and this president from another country. Jimmy interviewed the gravedigger at Arlington National Cemetery. And it was a spectacular column. It was basically a, a, a worm's eye view of the events uh, from the bottom up. And that was Jimmy. Uh, he was very, very special. Also, he got a lot of uh, notoriety because he was corresponding through the newspaper with Son of Sam, the famous serial killer in New York. And that brought him a lot of notoriety and uh, favorable and unfavorable. But he was always out there in, in the center of all of this stuff. His wife, his second wife was Ronnie Eldridge, who was a New York City uh, council person from the Upper West Side. She represented the People's Republic of the Upper West Side. But Ronnie was uh, a Jewish gal with, with three kids of her own. She was a widow, and Jimmy was a widower, and they got married. And Jimmy's Irish and Italian kids uh, combined with uh, Ronnie's Jewish uh, American kids 
And it was uh, kind of the opposite of the famous uh, Yiddish theater play, A.B.'s Irish Rose. They all got all together famously. Ronnie was, was a great influence on Jimmy. He gave up drinking probably 20 years before he died. And they lived on the west side in a building with a swimming pool so that Jimmy could go swimming every day and work out. And he actually uh, cleaned up his, his health and his act, and he did very, very well. And he died in his 80s. At the funeral, it was right out of, out of, out of Charles Dickens. People from every strata of society showed up, just as they used to show up uh, at the, at the uh, part one. Every strata of society was represented there. And it was, it, Jimmy's whole life was like a, he was like a latter-day Charles Dickens. He saw the, in, in, in London, he saw New York uh, from the ground level. And um, the whole funeral was packed and, uh, and brought to mind, uh, Jimmy showed up, which brought to mind... Uh, what he told me about being a reporter. And he said, you know, these kids today, they go to journalism school like Columbia, he said, or University of, I think it's Arizona State or Syracuse. And he says, and they have wonderful journalism schools. He says, and they get great educations, he says. But here's the story. He said, if there is a story and it's out in Brownsville and it's a blizzard or a rainstorm or it's 98 degrees, hazy, hot, and humid, and this story's up on the fifth floor of a walk-up. He says, I'm on the subway and I'm out to Brownsville and I'm climbing those five or six flights of stairs to get that story. He says, I show up. He said, there's no substitute for shoe leather. He said, you have to show up in life. He says, these kids want to phone it in or get it by phone. He says, and that's the only difference between me and them. He says, I learned uh, coming up in the Long Island Press, started out as a copy boy. I love the excitement of the business, and I learned the business from the inside out and from the bottom up, he said. And uh, the difference is showing up. And he showed up for his own funeral, which was attended by the governor and every notable person in New York society uh, from every strata of the society. So... Like a good photographer needs a good eye, Jimmy was an outstanding writer and columnist and journalist and novelist because he had the ear, the eye, the nose for a good story, and also he had a good pair of legs and he would show up. Thanks for listening. Come back next week for another episode of Uncommon Law, Lessons They Don't Teach in Law School. I'm Judge Rudy Greco. Court is adjourned.